I hope you didn't miss me too much over this past week, but thank God we have the rebroadcasts going out every week. So just in case there's a small chance that I miss, you always have that rebroadcast of last year's episode. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. And we're going to get back into the weekly Parsha with a brand new episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This week is a double Parsha. That means we have Chukas and Balak. So we have a lot to get to today. I hope you are well. And before we start, as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, would like to say hello, see how I'm doing. Feel free to send me an email at rabbishlamokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. So just to give a quick overview on Chukas and Balak, these two parshios that we're reading together this year, Chukas starts off with the mitzvah of the red heifer, the red cow. And it's a special cow with special laws that would have to be, you know, sacrificed in a special way and it would be mixed with different things, and the ashes would spring, would be sprinkled upon someone who became impure. And by getting sprinkled through these special ashes of the red cow, which was made in a certain way by the Kohen, a person would become pure again. The Torah continues with the death of Miriam, that this week's Parsha, Miriam passes away, and because of her death, the well which the Jewish people merited in the desert dried up. People complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe and Aaron daven to Hashem, and Hashem commands them, God commands them to speak to the rock. And in this week's Parsha, Moshe makes the mistake of hitting the rock instead of speaking the rock and is, and is thus punished by not being able to enter the land of Israel. The Parsha continues with Amalek, the nation of Amalek, attacking the Jewish people. The Jewish people fend off the attack and... As they are traveling, they complain to Moshe Rabbeinu. They complain to him for no reason. And God sends a plague of snakes against the Jewish people because they slander, they complain against Hashem, against the man, against what he has done for them for no reason. They come to Moshe Rabbeinu and ask him, please, we've, we've made a mistake. Please daven for us. Hashem instructs Moshe Rabbeinu to make a serpent, to make a snake out of copper wrapped around a pole. And whoever looks at this copper snake will live. Parsha's Balak primarily deals with Balak, who is the king of Ammon, and his interactions with Bilam. Bilam was a idolatrous prophet of the nations. And Balak, the nation of Ammon and Moab, they become scared. They think the Jewish people are going to attack them. So therefore they, they go to Bilam, this grand wizard who has his powers of black magic to curse the Jewish people. And the Parsha begins with the back and forth between Balak and Bilam, how Balak is trying to hire Bilam to come and to, to curse the Jewish people. And the Torah recounts for us how God prophesizes to Bilam that he should not curse the Jewish people. Bilam doesn't listen and goes anyway. And every time that he tries to curse the Jewish people, blessings come out. And on the way, a miracle happens that Bilam's donkey speaks and tells him that he will not be successful. The Parsha finishes after Bilam's curses are not successful. He tries one last resort of sending in the daughters of Moab 
into the Jewish camp to seduce the, the men because Hashem, he knows that God despises immorality and actually successfully gets many of the Jewish people to commit immorality, to have relations with the daughters of Moab until Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the grants of Aaron Cohen, stands up and, and kills Zimri, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, who, who had taken a, a Moabi woman to have relations with her, and he kills them and stops, and stops the plague that had engulfed the camp of the Jewish people. Now, the first idea I wanted to share with you today focuses in on this mitzvah of para aduma, the red heifer. Now, the commentaries discuss how this mitzvah is a chok, it's a divine ordinance, meaning that it's a mitzvah that we can't comprehend the reason for. We don't understand to our limited minds, it doesn't make sense to us why this mitzvah, number one, purifies somebody, why sprinkling these ashes makes someone pure again, why the person who is the, the Kohen, actually, who sprinkles the ashes on the impure person, and really anyone who's involved in the process of making these ashes becomes impure, meaning the Kohen who sprinkles the ashes on this person who is becoming pure now, he becomes impure, right? So our minds can't understand this, this mitzvah. How is it working that the person who makes someone pure, he himself should become impure? And it's brought down, this is the quintessential chok, the quintessential divine ordinance. And even King Solomon, the Midrash tell us, Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, was not able to understand this mitzvah. And this is something that is a mystery to us, and it will be. Now, the, the Be'er Yosef, he asks a question. He, he brings, you know, there's many insights that can be brought out from this interesting mitzvah of Paraduma. But there's one idea I wanted to bring out today. The Be'er Yosef explains, he says, that Hashem, that God, he... He withheld the reasoning of para aduma for us to teach us something very powerful. Sometimes, and some things in life are inexplicable. You know, many times, us as people, you know, maybe the smarter we are, the more we think we can understand. And we expect to have an understanding of everything. And everything that happens to us in our lives we, we have this understanding that we're going to understand why it happens and how it works. And, you know, sort of as we're in control and we can understand everything. We're very, you know, we're, we have a very high intellect. We're humans. We're, we're the top of the food chain. Our minds can penetrate anything. We can solve the biggest problems. But Hashem is teaching us with the mitzvah paraduma that no, we're still limited. We're, we don't see the whole picture. And there's some things that we're not going to understand. You know, the, the most famous question in, in the world, the most famous philosophical uh, question in human history is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Right? And there's things in life that we're just not going to understand. We've talked about this in the past, that Hashem is infinite and we are finite. And we're not going to fully comprehend everything. And, and just like, you know, if we would look at a, you know, if we're not a doctor and we would look at a, a medical manual, we would have no understanding of it. We would not be able to understand where to start, where to end. 
You know, Hashem, in His divine mercy, has a, has a master plan for us that started way before us and will continue way after us. So it's arrogant for us to say that why don't we understand this? Why did this happen? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, I'm not saying that it's easy and I'm not saying it's that there's pain, but it's, it's, it would be foolish for us to say that since we can't understand it, so therefore it must not be correct. It must not be true. And similarly, we, if we would have somebody, we know if you look at a table, right? I'll knock on a table. There's atoms in there. And each atom has a neutron, a pro- proton, electron, and, and they're spinning around each other. But if I tell you, I don't see any atoms on this table. Do you see any atoms flying around? So you'll say, I'm a fool. You don't, you don't see it because you don't have the right, you don't have a microscope. You don't have the right tools to see it. And the point is that when it comes to the world, as much as we can accomplish, as much as we can do, we still don't have the capacity to see the whole picture. And that's something that maybe we'll understand after 120 when we come to the next world. A second idea, which I believe is a beautiful thought that ties into Paraduma, is this fact that it says that the Kohen who sprinkles the ashes on this impure person, the person who became impure through touching a, a corpse, or you know different ways a person can become impure, so that Kohen, the one who sprinkled ashes, he becomes impure and that person becomes pure. Rabbi Yitzchak of Vorky explains that the process of paraduma, of making someone pure, exemplifies the mitzvah of ahafta l'reacha kamoicha. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because this Kohen, this person who's coming to purify this other person, he himself would become impure by making him pure. He would lose out by giving to someone else. And he says there's a powerful lesson that when someone loses out in order to help someone else, that's the ultimate love for one's fellow man. You know, many times we have situations where we need to make sacrifices for other people. And sometimes those sacrifices are difficult. But we have to know deep down that when it comes to helping others, when it comes to being a good friend, the best way you could, and the most beautiful way, the ultimate level of helping another is when you give of yourself in order to help another person. When you give of yourself to help another person, you're not losing, you're gaining. Because even though you're quote unquote, you know, you're losing your time, you're losing your money, you're losing your energy that you have to give to someone else, the feeling you get of showing love to someone else is worth more. What you receive, what you gain from, from doing that chesed, from doing that kindness, you gain way more than what you lost in time, in money, in energy. And when a person has the ability within himself to make a sacrifice for another, that's showing that, he, he is, that he's on the ultimate level of loving his fellow Jew at the ultimate pinnacle of a haftalareka kamocha. And you know, sometimes, and knowing where you are when it comes to love of your fellow man is knowing how much sacrifice you're willing to make. A person who is not willing to make any sacrifice, showing maybe he lacks love for others. And the great people among us, the great sages, the great righteous masters, 
were able to give them themselves to such a level, such an extreme level, that maybe it's a little difficult for us to attain. But the point is, is that this is the mindset. You know, not every situation can we give of ourselves. We can't, you know, even the Talmud tells us that you can't give all your money to charity. There's limits on it. But, you know, we have to have this mindset of being willing to sacrifice and give for another. Another thought on the Parsha of Chukas and really ties in to this idea that we're talking about of divine ordinances and chukim is that we said that the Jewish people come and they complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, they complain for no reason um, about the man, about their situation, and God sends a plague of snakes against the Jewish people to bite them, fiery snakes. And the commentaries tell us that when the snakes bit, it felt like a fire was burning within them. And they come, they, they realize their mistake, they come to Moshe Rabbeinu to ask him to beg Hashem for forgiveness, to intercede on their behalf. And Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem tells Moses to make a copper snake wrapped around the pole and whoever looks at that snake will be healed. Now the commentaries discuss here, you know, what's going on? A snake is healing. The people could be mistaken for maybe idol worship and the commentaries deal with that. But what I wanted to focus on today is this idea that it was the snake that caused the suffering, and it was the snake that caused the cure. And the, the Talmud relates for us that before God you know, has to punish the Jewish people, he always sends the cure before the, the actual strike, before he is actually going to have to mete out the punishment. But really over here is that Reb Chaim Shmulevitz explains that when somebody punches somebody, someone strikes another person. Why did you strike somebody? It's out of anger. It's out of hatred, right? And when somebody does a chesed for another person, when someone helps another individual, it's out of love and compassion. That's for us, for human beings, for flesh and blood. But for God, who is, again, infinite, He's above anything that we can understand. Even when Hashem, quote-unquote, strikes us, it's with love and compassion. Now, this is a heavier concept to digest. And what we're bringing out here is that whatever happens to us in our lives, what's good and what's, quote-unquote, bad, and I say, quote-unquote, because what we're getting at here is that even the bad things that happen to us, we have to recognize that they're really good. It's really for our benefit. Now, knowing this doesn't make everything all better, doesn't take away the pain and the suffering and the challenge, and it's not something we should tell somebody who's in a situation where they're suffering and they're having a hard time. But we as individuals, we as people need to know, we have to have a conviction within ourselves that everything Hashem does is for the good. Call the Ovid Rahmana Latav Ovid. Everything God does is for the best. And just like we know that if a dentist pulls out a tooth for us, it's a lot easier than if someone would punch out our tooth, God forbid, right? The pain of dealing with a pulled out tooth, the agony, would be helped by the fact that we know 
that the dentist is trying to help us to get rid of the pain. Versus a situation where someone punched our tooth out, it would hurt a lot more. We would agonize about it a lot more. We, we would have to deal with it a lot more. So the, from the fact that we see in the Parsha that the same object, the snake, which was, the, which was part of the plague, and the copper snake, which is part of the solution, part of the cure, were the same. We see that everything that happens to us, Hashem sends us for our benefit. And it's, it's all good for us. Now, it might not be so easy to see. It might st- it's still going to hurt. But if we know this concept, it becomes easier to cope with a situation when we know it's ultimately for our benefit. In Parshas Balak, the Torah tells us the story of Balak and Bilam. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Bilam was this evil prophet who was a wizard. He knew how to use the powers of black magic to curse people. And Balak hires Bilam to curse the Jews. And the Parsha goes through the back and forth between Balak, between Balak and Bilam. And finally, Bilam goes, gets up in the morning, harnesses his donkey and starts traveling towards the Jewish camp so in order he could see them to curse the Jewish people. And on the way, the, something miraculous happens to him. That an angel appears, it blocks his way, the donkey talks. And Rashi has an interesting observation, which brings out a very beautiful idea. The Pazak says, says, God's wrath fleared because he was going, referring to Bilam, and an angel of Hashem stood on the road to impede him. He was riding on his she-donkey, and his two young men were with him. And Rashi points out to us, he says about this malach, about this angel, malach shel rachamim haya. It was an angel of mercy. And it wanted to prevent him from going, that he shouldn't sin, and he shouldn't get destroyed. That Hashem, that, there, that this angel was an angel of mercy. It was trying to protect even this wicked Bilam, who was trying to harm the Jewish people. It was trying to protect him from harming himself, from sinning, and from ultimately being destroyed. And the verses continue. The she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road with his sword drawn in his hand. So the she-donkey turned away from the road and went into the field. Then Balaam struck the she-donkey to turn it back onto the road. At this time, the donkey saw this malach, this angel, holding the sword in front of it. So it turned away, turned around, and Bilam hit the donkey to make it go back on its path. Now, there's an interesting observation that Rabzalman Zalman makes regarding the wording of the psukim and the fact that we know that it was an angel of, of Rachamim, it was an angel of mercy, right? So Rashi points out to us that this angel that was blocking the way for Bilam was a rachamim, it was an angel of mercy. It was trying to protect him from himself. And yet at the next verse, the pasuk, the verse describes to us how this angel had a sword in its hand, a sword drawn in its hand. Now, if I would ask you to picture 
an angel of mercy, an angel of rachamim, how would you picture it? You would think of a halo, some beautiful white angel. You wouldn't think of a malach, an angel with a sword drawn out, right? Someone who has a sword drawn out is, is going to kill, is going to do harm, right? So what's the lesson we can take from this? And Rab Zalman explains that we see from this that rachamim, mercy, is not just the way we see rachamim. It's not the way we see mercy. You know, we think of mercy as being nice, being kind, going above and beyond. But there's a tough side to rachamim as well. There's a tough stance that people need to take sometimes when it comes to mercy. And we see that from the angel. That from the fact that we knew this angel was an angel of, of mercy, and yet it still had the sword in its hand, drawn, ready to kill. We see that sometimes mercy means taking a tough stand and saying no, not giving in and not budging. You know, children, they're always pushing the envelope. They're always pushing. They want and they need. And as parents, we always want to give our children as much as we can. But is it correct to always say yes to your kids? You might say, oh, you love them, you care about them. I mean, always say yes. The answer is no, of course. You can't always say yes to your kids. You need to say no. And that's the biggest mercy because if you continue saying yes to them, you think you're being nice, you're training them in a horrible way. You're teaching them they get whatever they want. There's no consequences. There's no limits to things. You have to be able to say no. As a good parent, you need to be able to say no to your children. And that's mercy because it teaches them it teaches them many important concepts. It t- teaches them to respect their parents. It teaches them that you can't have everything you want. And the way that you make them a more functional and, and a more successful human being is by saying no to them. And sometimes being strict, right? If a child runs into the street, God forbid, you have to give them a, sometimes it's necessary to give them a, a slap, right? So the child knows that it shouldn't do that next time, right? To protect them from, God forbid, getting hurt. And there's many examples that we can use to bring out this idea. But the point is, is that not always is mercy the way we picture it. And, you know, I think nowadays it's gotten very twisted of what is rachamim, what is mercy. And according to the Torah, the Torah's outlook is that having rachmanus is all-encompassing. There's a bigger picture here. And it's not just the way we view it or has we're trained to view it. But there's a tough stance to it as well. And that's something we see from this week's Parsha. So that's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlamokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com.